to Sunday School. So let's go ahead and continue in our studies in the book of Colossians. We were in Colossians chapter 3. Praise the Lord, we made it out of Colossians chapter 2. I never thought we were going to get a chapter, but we did. And uh, we're in Colossians chapter 3 now. And uh, we're going to uh, be picking up a little bit where we left off, going to do a little bit of some review. There were some verses that I didn't get to uh, cover that I kind of want to go through a little bit again about uh, Christ's preeminence. And again, I want to emphasize that as the theme of this book. What God is trying to tell us is very specific in this book of Colossians. And that is that Christ should be preeminent in every area of our life. That means he's number one in our thoughts. He's number one in our words. He's number one in our actions. He's number one with everything that we do. That our consideration should always be towards him. Not towards ourselves, not towards what benefits me, what's going to be the best for me or anything of that nature. But what gives God the glory? What gives Christ uh, the honor and praise for what he's done in my life and what he is doing and what he is going to do? All of these things need to be the mindset. And here we are in chapter 3, and chapter 3 really gets to some of the nuts and bolts about it. Now, as I said last week, there's 12 items in chapter 3 that really help put Christ as that preeminent. Some things that we have to do, some things that that, that we, we need to make some changes in our life. And Paul goes through this with the church at Colossae, telling them, hey, these are things that you need to to follow through on. These are some things that are going to, you know, if you will, put you on that right path in in, in, uh, your walk, your Christian walk on a day-to-day basis. And in verse 1, we we talked about, he says, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above and not on things on the earth, for ye are dead, And your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall, uh, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Now, now, these first four verses cover number one, the introduction, if you will, the idea that Christ is preeminent and why he's preeminent, why he's the authority. Now, when we talk about preeminence, that is one of the key things that you have to understand about preeminence. Because if you realize what the, the kind of the root words of the, the uh, preeminence is about eminence and so on and so forth, you realize that that's often a title that was given to kings, somebody that was in a power or an authority. And now the pre part means that he is set before everyone else. He's before anybody. Now, obviously, we don't seek the preeminence ourselves for ourselves. Uh, you know, John covers that in one of his letters where he was talking about uh, specifically uh, uh, an individual that came and was setting himself to be the preeminence in a church. And he was ruling with a very unlawful authority. And uh, we're not going to cover that because we want to focus more on what Christ is doing here in this passage. But what we find is we talked about that obviously this right hand that is mentioned in verse 1 is very indicative of power and authority. That's, and we see that throughout scripture. Uh, take a look at a couple of places. I want us to, to go back just a few, uh, few verses. Let's go over to the book of uh, Exodus first. Let's uh, take a look at Exodus chapter 15. And, and I want us to see this because it becomes a very important principle. <clears throat> 
through, throughout the entirety of the, 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 the gospels, uh, we find that Jesus Christ was fulfilling a lot of Old Testament scripture. And we see that there was a lot of prophetic things that were fulfilled. And we're going to talk you know, a little bit about that uh, this morning in the morning service. But with all those prophecies being fulfilled, they're still being fulfilled today. They're active prophecies. Now, as an example, there's, 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 uh, there's, there's prophecies that occur and then it's over, okay? But then there's some prophecies that continue on. There's prophecies that are, that are active in your life today, and I'll, I'll show you those here in just a minute. But there's things like, you know, when there was a prophesied, Daniel prophesied of the destruction of Babylon, and it happened that night. When, uh, when, when, when prophecies against uh, Tyre and Sidon came in about how they were going to be turned into, you know, one was going to be turned into a place for casting of nets. And we, you know, historically we see that happening to that, to, to that city and what, what occurred there. You know, it was prophetic when, when, when God said he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and it occurred. That's not a continual prophecy. Those are ones that have happened, occurred, and they've been fulfilled. But if you take a look at Exodus chapter 15 and verse 6, Exodus chapter 15, verse 6, it says, Thy right hand, Lord, is become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemies, or dashed in pieces the enemy. Now, now what we see here is we see that this is a prophetic, uh, uh, if you will, fulfillment of what was, what God said was going to happen to the, the Pharaoh's armies. They were going to get, they were going to drown in the Red Sea. They were going to be gone. They were going to be eliminated. Now, one of the things that we see here is where they're singing this song. This is a song of Moses and Moses is singing this song. And I'll just kind of briefly, and I don't want to go off too much on this tangent, but it's kind of necessary to talk about. There should be always a song in your heart. Whenever God does something for you, there should be a joyous song breaking forth. You're like, well, I can't sing and I can put together, you know, a, a tune if my life depended on it, right? You know, the, 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 I understand that. But the idea and the concept with songs is that, that as we were singing, there's joy that is there. There's glory given to God. That's what our song should always be about. Glory being given to God. Praise being given to God. Go through the entire chapter or uh, through the entire book of Psalm. Look at each one of those chapters. And what do you find? You find glory and praise being given to God. Even in some of the darkest Psalms where they're talking about depression and suicide and all sorts of stuff like that, there's still glory and praise being given to God for who he is and what he's done and what he will do. But here we find in this passage, we again, we find this right, uh, right hand, and, and I want to make mention of this, where he says this right hand is glorious in power. This right hand, if you will, provided salvation. Take a look at the book of Deuteronomy. Keep that in mind, Deuteronomy, and let's go to Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 33. Deuteronomy 33. <clears throat> In Deuteronomy chapter 33, in uh, verse 1, we see that Moses is giving a blessing to the children of Israel. 
In verse 2, it says, And he said, The Lord came from Sinai and rose up from Seir unto them. He shined forth from Mount Paran and came with ten thousands of his saints for his right hand, from his right hand went a fiery law for them. Now, there is so much packed in that verse right there that you could teach a series on it. That one verse. But I'm going to summarize it. Because if you look at the last part there where he says, from his right hand went a fiery law for them. Well, we know exactly what Moses is talking about. He was the one that actually wrote down what God said the law was. And it came forth, as he says, from his right hand. His right hand was speaking. Now, how does the right hand speak? Well, we understand who the right hand is. It's Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the word of God, which is the law. You begin to see that there is, I mean, there's so many layers there that you begin to see exactly who this is talking about. This is talking about Jesus Christ. This is talking very much about who he is. Now, if we go to the next passage, let's go over to the book of Psalms. There's several in Psalms, and we're going to stay there for just a brief moment, but go to the book of Psalms, and let's take a look at first uh, Psalms chapter 16. Psalm chapter 16. And in Psalm chapter 16, I want you to take a look at verse 11. Psalm 16:11 it says that will show me the path of life. Now this is important because we were just talking about life. Over there in Colossians chapter 3, we was talking specifically about life and he was talking about your life is hidden in Christ. He says Christ who is our life. Now this is talking about life. That will show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. Just saying about that. It, now I'm just again, brief, brief, just pause here for a moment. If you want to have joy in your life, then you need to be in the presence of God. He needs to be present in your life. Otherwise, you're not going to have joy that is joy unspeakable. You're going to have joy that is limited. Brief, but for a moment. Joy is something that transcends happiness, by the way. Happiness is an emotion that comes and goes, okay? Joy is something that you can have even during sorrow. You can have joy when you're going through difficult times. Speaking from experience, with all the stuff in the, the, the garbage that I went through, uh, I'll tell you this, I never lost sight of the joy. I might have gotten down a little bit here and there, and rightfully so. I mean, you know, you... you you, you go through some of that where you feel like your body's being drugged through, you know, from the back of a truck. Uh, you, 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 you're going to have some experiences of being sorrowful and down, if you will. Well, you use that correctly to what? Get closer to God. That's the whole purpose behind sorrow is to get closer to God. It drew me nearer to God. Closer and closer and closer and closer. And that's required of everybody. Just because somebody's a pastor doesn't mean that they're automatically, you know, so tight with God that you can't get a piece of paper between them. That doesn't work. It don't work that way, okay? You can continue to get closer and closer to God. 
It's a growing relationship. It grows every single day. It grows every single hour. It grows when you're on your knees in prayer. It grows when you're reading your Bible. It grows when you're going through difficult times and trials. But if you want fullness of joy, you want to be full of that joy, then you need to make sure that Christ is present in every area of your life. Hence that preeminence. Getting back to this verse, verse 11. It says, at thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now, I want to highlight that verse because, again, we go back over there where he's talking about in, in Colossians 3, 4. He says, Christ, who is our life, and he says that we are our life is hid in Christ. We need to understand this. There is pleasure in sin for a season, the Bible says. There's pleasure in sin for a season. Then what happens? Consequences. Consequences. Oh, it's really fun to do this, but then, you know, all of a sudden the cops show up. (laughs) You know, then it's not fun anymore. Right? Hopefully not. But you understand what I'm saying. There's consequences. People go out and they get, you know, so drunk that they can't even uh, uh, think straight. And and they, they think it's fun and it's maybe fun and pleasurable for that moment. But when they wake up the next morning, is it really fun? When they've got a headache that, that even the sound of a gnat flying causes them to scream in pain? When they're hovering over, you know, the, the porcelain throne? Wishing that they'd never done it again. But as scripture says, what do they do? They go right back to it. There's consequences. There's consequences. But he, here he is, he's talking about pleasures, very specifically, forevermore. Pleasures forevermore. The, 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 the pleasing that you seek in your life, that pleasing is only going to be found at the right hand of God. Now think about that. Who is at the right hand of God? Jesus Christ. The pleasure that you are experiencing in this life should be found solely in Jesus Christ. Because the rest of it, that's only going to last for a little while. It's only going to last for a little while. You know, you, you, you know, we here we are at Christmas time and sometimes people get gifts and, and those gifts, they last for a little bit and, and then what? Then it's kind of like, eh, no big deal anymore, right? Sometimes those gifts are cast aside. Sometimes they show up at the church re-gift. Because <laughs> we're like, I don't want this in my house. But, you know, regardless of, uh, of that, the, 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 the pleasure that we truly are desiring to experience in this life is only going to be found with that real personal relationship with Christ and when he is preeminent. When he's preeminent. You know why sometimes believers are some of the most miserable people on the face of the earth? Because they're not continuing to put Christ number one. They try to put themselves as number one. When you put yourself as number one, you're putting yourself in there in the place of God, which is, well, idolatry. And the end result is is you're going to be miserable because there's going to be a consequence with that. Because guess what? You're going to find you're not a great God. As a matter of fact, you're going to find out that you're a horrible God. 
You're going to find out that you're just one of those ones that you wish never even existed. Because you're not fair, you're not just, you're not righteous, you're not holy. You're none of the things that not is. And you become miserable. Because the priority is messed up. The priority is messed up. If we go down here uh, to to uh, the next uh, psalm, let's go over to Psalm chapter 17, just uh, uh, over to the next chapter. Take a look at Psalm chapter 17 in verse 7. Psalm 17, 7 <clears throat> Shows, says, show thy marvelous loving kindness, O thou that savest by thy right hand them that put their, which put their trust in thee from those that rise up against them. Now right there we see a very clear understanding of where salvation is found. At God's right hand. And we find salvation only through who? Jesus Christ. And none other. And again, as he talks about that, those that, them which put their trust in thee. A lot of the problems in this life is simply because we don't trust God enough. We're not willing to put him at the forefront of trust. We trust ourselves more. We trust advice of man more. And it winds up, you know, biting us in the end. But if you really truly want salvation and you really truly want to be saved from your sins, you're only going to find that in Jesus Christ. If you really truly want salvation from some of the predicaments and some of the issues and things that you're in, you're only going to find that in Jesus Christ. And the only way you're going to do that is if you trust him. It's really hard to receive salvation if you don't trust. It's really difficult. So there's something that is, if you will, you know, required if we're going to have that salvation. There's got to be some trust. There's got to be some trust. Take a look over at Psalm chapter 60. Psalm chapter 60. Psalm chapter 60 and take a look at verse 5. Psalm chapter 60 and verse 5. <clears throat> Here again, another passage about salvation being found at the right hand. That thy beloved may be delivered, save with thy right hand and hear me. Save with thy right hand. Now, I'm saying all of this to, to, again, get us to understand this concept. When you come to Jesus Christ for salvation, you are, number one, basically telling him you believe him. You trust what he's saying. You're receiving what he's saying. Also, that you can receive that salvation that is freely given. That he paid for on the cross for us. Now, now, now that, that's, that's very, very important for us to understand. Because if we're willing to, if you will, believe him about salvation, we must be willing to believe him about the rest of the things that come. Including the 12 that we're talking about here in, in, in Colossians chapter 3. 
we have to believe that those 12 things that if we look at and we follow through with them, that there's going to be some consequences, good consequences, good results. Now, I'm not talking prosperity, not talking about health and wealth, not talking Joel Olstein here. We're, we're talking about blessings, true blessings, spiritual blessings from God, something like joy. Joy, an element of the fruit of the Spirit. That's not going to come if you're not following what God tells you to do. If you're doing everything opposite of what God tells you to do, then then, then, then you're going to have problems. You're going to have problems. Let's take a look at another uh, psalm, Psalm chapter 63. Psalm chapter 63 and take a look at verse 8. Psalm 63, 8. My soul followeth hard after thee. Man, that's a great, that's a great start to this verse. My soul followeth hard after thee. One of the reasons that people have issues in their Christian life is because they don't follow this verse. They, they don't, I mean, guarantee you, they don't even know this verse exists in their Bible. Because you know what? They casually follow Christ. They conveniently follow Christ. Not trying to alliterate and preach another message in there, but you could. All right? But what do we find here? He says, my soul follows hard after thee. It's, it's something that you're going after, something that you know there's going to be some afflictions, there's going to be some difficulties in doing that. It's not going to always be the easiest path. Path. What you're going to want to do is you're going to want to make sure that if you're following him and following hard after him, guess what? He's going to be the preeminence. He's going to be the preeminence. But look at what he says here in this next part. This is what happens when you, if you are, if you will, follow hard after him, you have assurance of salvation. People struggle with assurance of salvation because they don't have that relationship with God the way that they're supposed to. Thy right hand upholdeth me. Thy right hand upholdeth me. Now again, let's think about this multi-layered facet that we have of who Jesus Christ is. We understand he upholds us. He's the one that makes us upright. He's the ones, he's the one whose righteousness we've been given. Praise the Lord. It's been imputed unto us. Thank you. But I, 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 I want to make it very clear here. Who is Jesus Christ? But none other than the Word of God. Why do people fall down? Because they're not following hard after God. And they are not being upholded because they're not in his word. That's why people trip and fall. Remember over there, Peter said, if you do these things, you won't fall. If you do these things, you won't fall. And what do you find over there? Those things that you're supposed to do. You find things that are found in the word of God. That's the principle. This is the principle throughout all of, all of scripture. Because you gotta remember, this is, this book is about a king and his kingdom. You know, you kind of summarize it. Jesus Christ and what is to come. 
This is all about him. It's not about our story. It's his story. That's why man messes up history. Why? Because they remove God from it. You remove God from history, there's no more his to it. It's just a story. And stories change. They change to suit whoever's telling the story. Well, the one telling the story here is Jesus Christ. That needs to be the concept. That needs to be the understanding. Take a look at Psalm chapter 98. Psalm chapter 98. Now, this is a little bit redundant of what we went over last week, but again, just, it's such an important principle that we cannot overlook it. Psalm chapter 98, and take a look at verse 1. He says, O sing unto the Lord a new song, for he hath done marvelous things, for he hath done uh, uh, marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm hath gotten him the victory. Now, what did we just read over there in in Colossians chapter 2? What did he do? He spoiled principalities and powers. Conquered them. He was victorious. That's why he's preeminent. That's why he's preeminent. Because he's done those things. But because he continues to do those things. Let's not just get into the mindset that Jesus Christ won the victory on the cross and then stopped. No, there's victory every single day. There's conquests that need to be made every single day. There's a conquering of sin in your life that needs to be done every single day. With every thought, with every deed, with every word, all of those things need to be free from sin and full of Christ. Without that, it's all about you. It's all about me. And and, and trust me, I'm dull. (laughs) There's no marvelous things that are there. But it is his, as it says here, his right hand and his holy arm Again, going back to the importance of that. People always talk about that. Well, he's my right-hand man. I'd give my right arm to get that, to do that, to obtain that. Where do you think that saying comes from? That's a spiritual godly saying. You realize that people are going to stand in front of Jesus Christ one day and and they're going to say, oh, I never knew you. And they're going to, he's, he's going to be sitting there going, what are you talking about? You used the vernacular every single day. Well, I, I didn't really believe, you know, the, the word of God. And he goes and he rewinds it and he says right here, you see where you said you'd give your right arm? God gave his right arm for you to obtain your soul and salvation. I mean, there's so many, we covered it one Sunday evening. It was just kind of a lightheartedness, you know, lighthearted lesson, if you will, a little sermon, talking about these things that we find in Scripture. A little bird told me, well, where did you get that saying from? The Bible. The Bible. Heard it through the grapevine. Where did you get that one from? 
the Bible. The Bible, or people are like, oh no, it goes back to the, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the, the uh, slave route, you know, where they were trying to, you know, get slaves to escape and stuff like that and things. People try to go back to that. Well, where do you think they got it from? Where do you think they got it from? From somebody, somebody that, that, that sat there and read their Bible and realized slavery was an abomination. The slavery is condemned. That, you know, and, and again, that, that's one of the, no, I, I won't go there. I'll just leave that. Uh, that one's for another time, some other place. Uh, let's go to Psalm chapter 118. Psalm 118, verse 16. Psalm 118, verse uh, 16. <clears throat> 118, 16, it says, The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. Again, who do we think this is talking about? If he is exalted, and he is the one that is doing valiantly, he is the one that is preeminent. Now, this becomes important because we find the very first thing, if you will, the very first principle, elemental principle that we need to understand is found in the next verse, going back to Colossians chapter 3. In verse 2, set your affections on things above and not on things of the earth. Now, we talked a little bit about that, and we'll talk a little bit more, but I want to I want to go through really quickly, and if you're taking notes, just... Yeah, hang, hang, hang on. You'll, you'll take notes later on. But if you, you know, want to write them down, here's where you're going to find these 12 things. And there's going to be some that have supporting verses underneath them. So those are going to cover that. Just like we see here with, uh, um, this very first one, which is found in verse two, uh, chapter, uh, verse three and verse four support that concept. But I want to walk through those 12 very quickly. The very first one that we find is found in, 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 uh, chapter, uh, yeah, Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, which is set your affection on things above. The next one we find is in, uh, the second one is found in verse 5, where it says, mortify therefore your members. The next one that we find, the third one, is found in verse 8, but he says, but now ye also put off all these. There's the putting off. There's the fourth one, which is found in verse 9. Lie not one to another. That one is so important. And we'll talk about why when we get down to that part, get down to that, that, that topic. But look, we've really got to stop lying to each other. God hates it. God hates it. You know, and it's one of the things that that is 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 reinforced. Oh man, it is is it reinforced by parents sometimes? You know. Look, I understand that people may think it's harmless, but don't lie to your kid about the tooth fairy. You don't want them believing in fairies. You want them believing in Jesus Christ. Okay? Don't teach them about the Easter Bunny. Easter Bunny isn't real. 
I, I, I've got my my folks have got this picture, and I think I think it's in one of the albums that they made for me, um, and put it together. It's one of my first experiences with the Easter Bunny, and it was this guy that was dressed up, and we went to a supermarket, and you know we each got a jelly bean. It's where it began, <clears throat> but I'll tell you this. I did not like that Easter buddy. Man, that thing creeped me out. That thing, and, and you can see it in my face. My brother's, you know, happy. He's holding his jelly bean. I'm holding my jelly bean like, what is this thing? Get it away from me. You know, the, it just, and I remember, and I was really young. I remember violently crying because I did not want this thing even near me. And it's trying to touch me and like, oh, no, you know, they're trying to be, and I'm like, no, get this thing away from me. I was a very, very odd child. I told all my classmates that Santa Claus didn't exist because we don't have a chimney, and if he tries to enter into our house any other ways, that's breaking and entering. <laughs> yeah. So so, so you, you begin to understand my mindset, that I was a warped child at a young age. <laughs> but, you know... It, and I don't even know how in the world I would have even come to the conclusion that it was breaking and entering. That's just bizarre. But anyways, it was like, you know, I'm just sitting there thinking, if that, if that was truly real, then Santa Claus would have been shot multiple times. <laughs> just, just the fact that he's entering into a home that he's not invited into. Even a child can have that understanding. But look, you know, I, I say all that to say this. Don't lie to your kids. In, in, in verse 5, uh, excuse me, not in verse 5, but the fifth one in found in verse 10 is this, and have put on the new man. There's a put off. There's a poise going to be a put on. That's an important principle that we as believers have to understand. You're going to put something off, you're going to put something away, and you're going to put on something and you're going to take something up. That is the Christian life. You cannot pick up something else if there's something else in your hand. You cannot pick up the things of God if that, if you're still holding on to sin. And it doesn't work to try to cloak sin by keeping sin on and then trying to put something over it to cover it. It needs to be put off. It was put off at the cross. Let's keep it there. That's what he talks about over there in Colossians chapter 2. The sixth one that we see is found in verse 12. Again, put on therefore, what is it? Bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. There's all these things that, that, that he says you need to put on. We're putting off all these old things. We're going to put on some new things. And then we find another put on in verse uh, 14, which is number seven. And above all these things, put on what? Say it again. Man, that is such an important word. Paul pounds that into the mind of the believer. If you read all through his, his, uh, his, uh, letters, his, the books that he wrote, man, that's what you're gonna find. Paul was emphasizing charity. Here he says, above all that, above all these things that he says that you're supposed to put on, mercy, Kindness, humbleness, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing, forgiving. All of these things. He says, above all that, what do you need to put on? 
Charity. Why? Because it's the bond of perfectness. The reason why people think that they can't get to a perfect part of their Christian life, which God says, be you perfect. Why would he give us a command that we could never follow? And, and again, your idea of what perfectness is and what God's idea of perfectness is, is probably very different. But just keep this in mind. The reason why people struggle with being perfect and following through on that commandment is this. They're not willing to be charitable. They're not willing to give. They're not willing to sacrifice. And this is the whole concept behind what charity is. Charity is an attitude of the heart. It's an inclination where you are always led to, if you will, default to a sacrifice for someone else because you prefer someone else without any regards of whether you get anything back. There's no reciprocity with charity. You know, here in this day and age, we've got charitable organizations we give, you know, we give to. You know, you've got this couch that's been in your your, your family for the last 60 years and it's finally giving up the ghost. And you're like, we're going to get rid of this thing. Well, you don't want to take it to the dump because that costs money. So let's see if Goodwill will take it. Uh, But please make sure that I get a receipt for that taxes because that's a vintage couch. And I saw it go on eBay for $1,000. That's not charity. That's manipulation of your tax dollars. So Uncle Sam doesn't get it all. Which, by the way, giving all your money to Uncle Sam isn't always the best idea. I'm not saying don't pay your taxes, okay? Render unto Caesar, which is Caesar's, okay? But again, if you can not give him as much so he can spend it on Title IX and everything else, or Title X, whatever, whatever garbage he's going to spend it on, okay. Uh, that'll, that'll, that'll be my tax lesson for the day. Uh, verse, uh, verse 15 is the eighth thing where he says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Now we're going to go through each one of these individually. I know I'm kind of summarizing it here, but I, I just want to, to, to hit these so that we know how these kind of are breaking up in this passage. In verse 16, we have the ninth one, which is let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And when it dwells in you richly, what happens? You're teaching and you're admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. I just talked about songs over there in the Song of Moses. Go through through scripture and see how many times people just spontaneously burst into song or playing music. It's an important thing. It's an important thing. But in verse uh, verse uh, 17, we've got the 10th one. And it says, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks. It's a dual principle, but there's the, there's the 10th one. The 11th one we're going to see here is relational. And it starts in verse 18 and goes all the way through verse 22. Talks about wives, husbands, children, fathers, and servants. Covers a lot of the relationships that we have in this lifetime. Spouses, parental, work-related. How do we manage those relationships? Well, he tells us how to do that in verse 11. 
And guess what? If you put Christ at the first of those relationships, those relationships will start off very godly. They'll start off very godly. And they need to continue very godly. And the only way that they continue to be very godly is if Christ is continually put at the first and the foremost. Otherwise, you stop putting him at the first and the foremost, then the priorities get mixed up. It's either the spouses, the children, or the job. And in all three of those, I guarantee you, those are not things that are from above. They're like, well, God gave me my, my, my spouse. God gave me this job. I get that. I understand that. But there, there, there's some things that are temporal. Okay? We need to keep that in mind. The things that are above is the things of Christ. We need to keep that at the forefront of all of those gifts that he gives us here on this earth. We have to keep that in mind. Because if I worship my wife, then guess what happens? I just put an idol in there. And we all know what happens with idolatry. God will judge it. He always does. He always does. And the consequences are going to be horrible. I've seen far too often where one spouse puts another spouse on a pedestal, and then when that spouse falls, the whole world comes apart. Well, Jesus Christ is never going to fall, so if you keep your eyes on Jesus Christ, if other things fall around you, you at least know where you're continuing to look. You continue to have stability. You continue to have grounding and foundation. And your world does not crumble. There might be some rebuilding that needs to be done on a certain aspect and the extension, of, uh, 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 if you will. But you, you, you've, you can take care of that if your mind and your eyes and your heart and is everything you are is focused on Christ. And then finally, the twelfth one that we see is found in verse 23. Uh, it says, whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Everything you do should be done for Christ. Now, you can't do sin for Christ. That doesn't work. You can't go rob the bank and say, I'm doing this in the name of Jesus. That doesn't work. Okay? It's blasphemous is what that is. And there have been people throughout history that have done that. I kill you in the name of Jesus. No. Jesus Christ never told you to go kill someone. You know what he told you to go do? Tell them about the Savior. Go ye in all the world and preach the gospel. He didn't say go ye in all the world and make it Christian. Big difference. Because you can't make anything Christian. You know what the only thing that, how a Christian is made? When a believer follows Jesus Christ. And when a believer follows Jesus Christ, he's going to do the things Jesus Christ tells him to do. Why? Because Jesus Christ will be preeminent in that Christian's life. That's the idea and the concept. The world has a totally different idea of what they think a Christian is. Let's not give them an excuse to, 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 to malign that, that term. Let's not give them a reason for them to think that a Christian is something else other than a follower of Jesus Christ. 
We've had enough people do that in this world. We don't need to add to that anymore. But those are the 12 items, and we're going to stop here. Those are the 12 items that we see in here that, that, that Paul's focusing on about, you know, again, keeping our mindset on the things of God, the things of heaven, the, the, the heavenly things, Jesus Christ, the right hand. And we go through, and as we're going to go through all of these, we're going to get into more details about them. We went into a little bit last week with uh, verse 2 talking about some of the things with affections. We'll get into that more next week, Lord willing. But let's just kind of keep those things in mind, and we're going to be dismissed with a word of prayer. And uh, you have a few minutes to, to, to grab some coffee and some things like that, fellowship, and then uh, go ahead and come back up for our 11 o'clock service. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for this time. Thank you again, Lord, for what you teach us uh, through the book of Colossians. And Lord, I pray that we would just continue to strive to make sure that you are the preeminent one in every area of our life. And Lord, I just pray that we would take these words, we'd hide them in our heart, and Lord, we'd use them to grow in you. And again, I thank you for all that you've done for us. I pray for the 11 o'clock service that, Lord, you would just, again, uh, speak to our hearts and, uh, again, mold us and shape us into those Christians that you want us to be. Thank you again for all that you've done for us. And this I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.